right. Good to have you in God's house today. We're glad that you're here. Thank you, praise team, for that. I appreciate that. And I uh, want to get into God's Word today. Take your Bibles, if you will, and find Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. We're going to be talking about something today that uh, I wasn't really excited about, but I do feel like I've got to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And today I'm going to talk about legalism. Legalism. Uh, I um, wasn't sure what I wanted to do with this topic at the beginning of the week, and so I've kind of been thinking about it. But I want to say this as I think about this. The title of the message today is Inside Out and Right Side Up. And the idea is that when Jesus came into the whole system of the religious system of that day, that's exactly what he did. He turned it upside down and right side up. In a sense, he literally changed everything because he saw this creeping legalism that had infiltrated the Jewish people for 500 years. And so that is where my heart went today as I share this message today. Um, let me mention just a couple things. I didn't mean to mention this. There is going to be an article on Butch and Laughlin coming out tomorrow morning in the website, so that'll be posted. And then we're looking to reinstate our parking lot team. We've got somebody who wants to head up the parking lot team. We've had a lot of trouble with traffic control right there at the entrance because of the construction and everything. And so if you'd be interested in helping out on the parking lot team, we sure could use you. All we need to do is let the Welcome Center know. There's a sign-up sheet there. Just put your name on it. And the person who's in charge of the parking lot will get back with you as we get that organized. But we sure could use your help on that to keep things flowing well and organized, especially in that parking lot. And we want to be safe with it. Okay, so I did want to mention that. Let's stand together now. We're going to sing. <laughs> We're going to sing. <laughs> I've never said that my whole life, but uh, we are going to sing the Bible. <laughs> okay, we're gonna... But you've never done that at church. Okay. Uh, Mark chapter 7, I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. Hope to get through verse 23, but I'm just going to read through 13 this morning. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as washing of cups, pitchers, and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as the doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the traditions of men. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, what I have that would help you is Corban, that is to say, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition which you've handed down, and you do many such as that. You may be seated. Legalism. Uh, legalism is a deadly thing, and it tears apart people, and it tears apart churches. And uh, 
some of you come from a legalistic background, so I'm very sensitive to what I'm going to say to you today. Some of you come out of that. Uh, some of you maybe have strains of that in your life. But I just want to uh, be fair to the Word of God and also to be fair to just where my broad thinking is going. Uh, so the first thing I want to do is I want to define it. But I'm going to give you a definition, what I believe is found in the Bible, because the word legalism is not in the Bible. It is a word that we have labeled today to describe what we think is happening in the Scriptures. So let me just give you, uh, right there in the notes, three types of legalism found in the Bible that exist today. All right, And then I'm going to illustrate it, and then I'm going to jump into the text. When people, Number one, when people believe they can be justified by doing the works of the law. That's why the whole book of Romans was written. Some people try to do the works of the law to justify themselves before God. And he said, by no work shall you be justified, Paul said in Romans. And it is only by faith that you're justified. We're not going to get into that one today because that's another type of legalism. Number two, where the traditions and rules of men bind God's people when God has left them free to decide. We're going to get into that one today. Number three, Loopholism. This comes by Gary Friesen's work. Loopholism, where someone tries to get around the command of God by overriding or substituting it with a man-made tradition or law. Loopholism. So I get around what God said, and I have a other rule that is more important than what God said. Now we're going to get into that one too as well today. My outline today is, could there be a little Pharisee inside of you? Could there be a little Pharisee inside of you? Two stories. A young student asked his professor, these are true stories, at a Christian university, I am in earnest about forsaking the world and following Christ, but I am puzzled about worldly things. What is it I must forsake? The professor replied, colored clothes for one thing. Get rid of everything in your wardrobe that is not white. Stop sleeping on a soft pillow, sell your musical instruments, and don't eat any more white bread. You cannot, if you are sincere about obeying Christ, take warm baths or shave your head, your beard. To shave is to lie against him who created us, to attempt to, attempt to improve on his work. Now, as absurd as that sounds to us, that was in, within 75 years of the death of Christ. And the most prominent Christian university in that day held that view. No white bread. Now, I know you hadn't heard it before, so I wanted to read it to you. No colored clothes. It's absurd. Now, just think for a minute, all the rules that people come up with today, in a couple centuries down the road, people are going to say, that's absurd. And so I want to get into this topic from that angle. Let me do one little humor story I enjoy. This is actually a true story, too. The story was told some years ago of a pastor who found the roads block one Sunday morning and was forced to skate on the river to get to church, in which he did. When he arrived, the deacons of the church were horrified that their preacher had skated on the Lord's Day. After the service, they held a meeting where the pastor explained that it was either skate to church or not go at all. Finally, one deacon said, well, did you enjoy it? And the preacher said, no. And he said, then it's all right. <laughs> so if you skated to church today and you did not enjoy it, you have not sinned. All right, you have not sinned, my child. 
All right. So I'm burdened about this because it has the ability to tear us apart. It has the ability to tear a church apart. All right. Is there a little Pharisee inside of you? Number one, yes, if you make much of little. Yes, if you make much of little. Now, here in this passage of Scripture, there's a whole shift in what Mark is trying to accomplish. Now he's going to go into this discourse between the Pharisees and the scribes with Jesus, and they are going to oppose him. They're going to oppose him through the rest of the book, as a matter of fact. And uh, you say, well, I wouldn't oppose Jesus. Well, Mark wasn't writing to Pharisees and scribes. He was writing to you, and if you're not careful, he could be talking about you. And so that's why he's writing this. And it could be us that are opposing Jesus. And so I want to make sure that's clear today. The forefront question in their mind is, why do your disciples eat with defiled hands or unwashed hands? That was an oral tradition for the last 500 years. When Israel was carried away into captivity, they didn't have access to the law of God, so they started passing on these oral traditions. Then these oral traditions became law, and they were binding by the time the first century occurred. These scribes were experts up from corporate in Jerusalem, and they joined up with the Pharisees who were stringent law keepers of the oral tradition. And these were passed, and all the rabbis kept them, and all the people in the synagogues kept them. Now, here's how you have to understand it. Part A is the written law of Moses. Part B, which started in 500 B.C., would be the oral traditions to help you keep part A. So it's not all bad because it was trying to help you keep part A. Let me just let me give you an illustration of that if it was modern day, okay? Part A would be something like this. No swimming in the pool after dark. No swimming in the pool after dark. Part B would be, okay, let's build a fence around the pool so no one sneaks in and swims. So part A was a law, but now they would add to it and they'd make that a law. Everybody had to build a fence around their pool, which is a law today in our culture. Okay, and so that's how these laws started getting added that weren't from God, but they were intended to help people. The problem is it got way out of hand for 500, over 500 years, and they literally had hundreds of these oral traditions that were not written by God, but were written by the famous rabbis through the centuries. And they made them as equal to the law of God. In the case of the unwashed hands here, why don't your disciples wash before they eat? That would be a ceremonial washing. It comes from Exodus 30. The priests, before they could go in the temple, had to ceremonially at the labor wash their hands. If the priest went into the marketplace before the priest could go home, he had to take a full shower when he left the marketplace, all right? Well, the rabbis read that, and the experts read that and said, well, if it's good for the priests, it's good for the people. And so they wrote it into law by the time the first century occurred where not only do the priests wash their hands ceremonially, but every person before they eat a meal had to have a little bowl of water and they had to wash their hands. And then if they ever went to the marketplace, before they could come back, they had to take a shower in their house. Now, if every time my wife went to Target and Walmart and Harris Teeter and she had to take a shower every time she came back home, she'd spend half her life in the shower. It's just, it's ludicrous to think about how they got caught up in this stuff. It was just ceremonial laws. And so they're asking Jesus, why do you let your disciples do that? Now, the disciples never kept the oral tradition laws, not one of them. 
And the truth is, now Jesus never disobeyed the written law of God by Moses, but he went out of his way almost every day to break the oral laws. And that's an amazing thing. He goes out of his way to make sure he breaks them. The Pharisees started to put more emphasis on the oral law than the law of God. They made much of little. They made the oral law more important than God's law. And so because of this, it caused all kinds of disasters in the first century Judaism. So they asked Jesus, why do your disciples do that? Now they waited till a crowd was around. Because they're not here to really find out what Jesus is doing. They want to trap him, and what they really want to do is embarrass him in front of his disciples. Now, Jesus, excuse me, uh, I don't know if you know or not, but the law says you have to wash your hands before you eat a meal, and your disciples, maybe you haven't told your disciples the whole law, maybe they don't even know that the rabbi should be teaching him these laws, because they've been around for 500 years. Jesus, we just noticed, just wondered, but really their whole motive was, we're going to make a fool out of you to your disciples and to everybody around you don't keep the law. And so the people around be thinking, yeah, why don't you do that? Why don't you keep the oral traditions that have been around for 500 years in Judaism? Now, you would have to understand that at this point, there's a huge tension in the room because now you've got 12 disciples that are ready to fight for their master. And they know there's an argument going on here, and that's how they wordsmith. People like to argue with words. They don't like to argue physically when you're that astute or that advanced. You want to argue with your words. And so that's exactly what they do. They begin to try to put the tension here on them. Um, now, let me, let me say this again because I want to be up front here. It's not bad to put boundaries on your life to keep you from sinning. If you and your boyfriend struggle and you do things when you're alone that you feel bad about, and the next day you say to your boyfriend, we got to have a rule. We can't be alone. That's a really good idea. That's a really good idea. But if your friend comes to you and says to you, you guys are spending a lot of time alone watching those movies. Do you love Jesus? I mean, because you shouldn't be spending that much time. I mean, do you really love him? Jesus, that is. Now something's wrong. Because now that person is going to impose something that is not clearly written in the Word of God, even though to that person it might be a good idea. But that has to be their personal conviction. And so what I'm going to warn you against is that kind of spirit that sometimes can cause these kind of conflicts with one another. Lots of things the Bible doesn't speak about, but the truth is we all have our opinions. There's nobody in here who doesn't got an opinion about something, about what they think is right and what they think is wrong. And so it becomes very difficult uh, to sometimes think this through. How should someone dress? Well, all the Bible says is be modest. Well, what's modesty? What's right, what's wrong? And so, so sometimes a school, for example, has to have a rule because nobody will define what modesty is. But sometimes what's difficult is when we have our opinion about what modesty, when the Bible says be modest, be dressed like a godly woman, dress like a godly man, we all have different definitions of what that is. And so sometimes people will put in positions. I'm not saying it's wrong for a school, like our Christian school has rules on dress codes. 
you've got to have some of those things because people will violate that without even thinking through the implications of what they're doing. But I'm talking on a personal level, when you have a, a position on dress or alcohol or what kind of music or movies or Hulu or Amazon or Netflix, we all have our personal opinions on those. The problem starts... Here's where the problem starts. When you and I judge other people's spirituality according to our own personal convictions, that's where it's difficult. It's difficult. That's called legalism. I judge you because you don't take my position on my personal conviction. It can kill a church. When there's not an explicit verse, we can judge other people walking according to our own stuff. Now, have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Judge people on what Jesus or Paul says, not on what Jesus or Paul says, but on the things you deem right or wrong about what Paul or John, Jesus says. Uh, I'm going to say this right up front. Actually, Oswald Chambers says it. Legalism is a subtle form of idolatry. Legalism is a subtle form of idolatry because a person elevates the human above the divine and tries to take the, div- the human and the divine and put them at the same level, that this is what this means. And so when you take the human and put it at the level of the divine, you're actually putting that human rule at a level of the creator's rules. And the danger there is you serve the creature more than the creator. And whenever you put something at equal to the word of God or above it, that's idolatry. That's idolatry. The Pharisees thought they were the most righteous people on earth. Jesus confronted them. Now, please don't go out here and confront every legalist out there, okay? You're going to mishear my message completely. That's not, it's got to be thought through more than that. And this is not the place I'm going to do that. But the question you should have underneath is, why would you respect someone's idolatry? Why would you respect someone's idolatry? Not saying to do anything, go out and make any big changes about this. I'm just starting to have you think through it. Because they tried to control everybody else's life around them. And what they did is they started to chip away at people's freedoms and they accumulated power to themselves. Listen, it doesn't just happen in churches, it happens in governments. They chip away at your freedoms. You ought to look at how many laws we actually have in this country over the years that we've been in existence. So it's, it's very common in a universal way to do this. And once you become a legalist, the way you pick up on it is you see the spirit of legalism. And the spirit of legalism is judgmentalism, pride, demandingness, lack of mercy, lack of compassion, unkind, impatient. That's what it leads to, a legalistic spirit that's not broken by grace and doesn't understand the amazing salvation they have in Jesus Christ. I got to say this, okay, because I, I want you to hear this, all right? Um, some of you come out of that. And because you come out of that, that spirit of legalism and that legalism, the dangerous thing you're going to do is you're going to go and swing the pendulum to the other side and you're going to have a spirit of licentiousness. 
that's just as dangerous. I'm not preaching about that today, but I want you to hear the danger of that, that somehow you're going to go over here and you're going to be unrestrained now, and everything that looks like legalism or everything you knew as a kid or everything you experienced, now you're going to go to the other side and say, I don't want to be a legalist. That is not the answer either, okay? You can't just jump out of one pot and jump into the other and now become unrestrained in your life. There has to be, you have to be thinking this through because a lot of times what, uh, well, let me, I'll, uh, I don't even, I parents, okay? You know, I want my kid to go to church, but I'm not going to make him go to church. I'm not going to make him go to the children's church or I'm not going to make him go to youth because I don't want to be a legalist. See, so what happens then in the process is you've got, you've got God trying to say, you're responsible for training up your child, but the spirit you've had and you've been exposed to, you so reacted to, it's hard for you to think through, how do I really train up my child in the way he should go because I'm afraid I'll be a legalist. See, and that's why I don't want you to overreact to the other side when you gotta, you got to really think this through, okay? So I at least want you to hear that as I, as I develop this, okay? So basically, in this whole process, this is what's kind of going on. Jesus' response, verse 6, I want you to see that. He says, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. Now, Isaiah never said hypocrites. Jesus did. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips. Their heart is far from me, but in vain do they worship me, teaching as the doctrines, the precepts of men, neglecting the commandment of God you hold to the traditions of men. Now, what Jesus is doing is Jesus is looking at them saying, you people are play acting. You got the mask on, and you look like you're a do-gooder, and you look like you're squeaky clean. But in reality, Jesus says, I can look down in your heart and I see a whole lot messed up in you. But you've covered it all up and you're a beautiful hypocrite. No one knows you're a hypocrite. And so you've got this face mask on, playing religion, but you're not really religious. You're trying to look religious. You tell people what to do, what they should say, where they should go. But the truth is, you're not doing what God tells you to do. You make much about little. You, you major on the minors, and you fail to focus on what concerns God. You can't fix this by just having a bunch of rules. You've got a deep problem. And just by not doing this or not doing that isn't going to fix your issues. But they didn't believe that. So should I wear lipstick? Should I not wear lipstick? As one church I went to, that was the case. One, should I wear antiperspirant or not wear antiperspirant? Let me tell you something. Wear it. Wear it, okay? I was at one church. You, oh, I don't know. I shouldn't go down that path. Okay, but anyways, uh, should you dance? Should you not dance? The danger is you take these things and you elevate them to a regulation, and real righteousness is discounted and obscured. You think about that, okay? Just think about this for a minute. What is easier to do? Not wear lipstick or deal with your pride? See, sometimes the rules are easier than the actual commands of God. What is easier to do? Stop going to movies or loving your enemies? It's a whole lot harder to love your enemies. And sometimes we like to do things that are manageable 
and outward and can be seen. And Jesus is saying, your mouth is going, you're singing, you're praising, you're saying your prayers. You say you love God, but it's not deeper than your lips. It's not deeper than your lips. It never penetrates your heart, your play acting. Jesus actually lists that then at the end of the chapter there. I, I, I think I'll just read that while I'm here. 17 verse 21. He says, really, these are the issues you can't get rules that are going to take care of. He said, from within, out of the heart of man, proceed the evil thoughts. How are you going to do that? It's down in your heart. Fornications, thefts, evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, covetousness, wickedness, sensuality, envy, slander, pride. You think your list is going to take care of those things? He said, you're messed up. You're going to need deeper than something deeper than your rules. And so that's really what he's trying to get at here. And he's saying there has to be an inward cleansing in your heart. But all you do is care about how you're seen. So could there be a little Pharisee in you? That's the first one, okay? Making much of little, all right? Number two, could I be a little Pharisee? Yes, if you make little of much. If you make little of much. It says in verse 9, Jesus is going to give this incredible illustration about the law. He says, let's talk about how you do that, how you try to make little of much. Little meaning you make little of God's law and you make much of your law. And your law tends to override God's law. And so Jesus goes further. He gives this example, the Ten Commandments. He picks number five. Honor thy father and mother. And he makes it very, very strong here in this verse on purpose. He says, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of your father or mother is to be put to death. Hey, if you're, eight, if you're 15 years old, write that verse down, put it on your refrigerator. Okay? If you just speak evil, you shall surely be put to death. That's heavy stuff. But he's not just talking about eight-year-olds. He's talking about 18-year-olds and 45-year-olds. He's saying you always have an obligation to your parents while they're alive. You always have an obligation to your parents while they're alive. But what they were doing is they were taking that commandment and they were figuring out a way to get around it. Listen, when I was five years old, I knew right then I was a sinner. My parents were going out to eat one night. I was five years old. I can still see one of my early memories. But I can still remember them going out to eat. And before they went out to eat, they told me I had to go to bed early with the babysitter. And I gave them a fit. I gave them a fit over that. I don't remember all the details except that they said, now you're going to bed at 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock. I am not little five-year-old i got things to do on friday night it's friday night you know and there i am challenging my parents and i mean i remember my dad put you're going to bed at seven o'clock now with that attitude i went in my room and i just had learned how to write in kindergarten so i had those old those penmanship with the two lines out there and a little dotted line in the center and i wrote on it i hate my mom and dad five years old and then i had dinosaurs at the bottom eating my parents Isn't that amazing? Just right there, I would have been surely put to death if I was in the Old Testament. All right, so, so just see the weight of this now, okay? As, as, a, as, as a person in any age, you always have an obligation to your parents. 
Old Testament law, that's part A. Honor your mom and dad. Okay? But what the scribes and the Pharisees did is they added part B, which came from Numbers chapter 30 about making a vow. And if you make a vow, you shall surely keep it above all else. So now you got two laws, making a vow, you shall surely keep it above all else. And you got to honor your mom and dad. Now where it got tricky is this Corbin deal. This Corbin, that word Corbin there. The word Corbin means to dedicate. So what you could do in this situation, if you were an Israelite and you were a young man, say you were 28 years of age and you didn't get along with your parents. You didn't get along with them when you were a kid. You didn't get along with them when they were older. And you got tired, you got tired of dealing with them and putting up with them and taking care of them and you had to provide for them and make sure. By the way, Israel today, this is absolutely done everywhere. They always honor their mom and dad, always, right to their death. But if you didn't get along with them and you said, I'm sick of, I'm sick of my parents. You're getting into fusses with them, you don't get along with them. And so you go and you talk to your rabbi and you say, I don't, I don't mind keeping the law of God, but I am, I'm just fed up with my parents. What do I do? And the rabbi would say, that's easy. All you have to say to your parents is Corbin. Corbin, what's that? If your parents, you're to take care of them by the law of uh, commandment number five, but if your parents are being aggravating to you and you're not getting along with them, you can dedicate everything to God and you say, I Corbin my stuff. In other words, I dedicate my stuff and everything I got to God, and that means I no longer have to provide for you or take care of you or give you any of my stuff. But when I die, I have to give everything to the temple. And when I give it to the temple, I get to keep it until I die, and I can do with it what I want, but I don't have to give anything or take care of my parents in any way because I Corbined it. I dedicated it to God, and you guys can't have it. And so this is exactly what people were doing in that day. And so if you're that young man, 20-some years of age, your thought's going to be, you know, you, you got a calloused heart. You're, you're really uh, critical at this point, and you're calculated. You calculated this whole thing out. Your thought is, hey, where do I sign? All you have to say is, I Corbin my stuff. And you're ready to go. It's so easy. For a kid, say a kid in his 20s, let's just pick a guy in his 20s, okay? It's so easy for him to overreact. Gets in a fuss with his parents, and he's mad, and he's upset, and in the heat of the moment, he says, I'm Corbin, and everything I got to God. The next day, he gets up, and he says, man, that was stupid. That was rash. What did I say that to my parents for? How dumb. So he goes back to the rabbi and says, man, I, I Corbin everything I had to God. What do I do? How do I undo that? The rabbi says, you said it, man you got to follow through. That law is more important than this law. you got to give all your stuff to the temple. You get to do what you want with it now, but you, don't, you, 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 you can't give anything to your parents. It's ludicrous, isn't it? That'd be like a, a, a couple guys getting in a fight, and, and the one guy says to the other guy, I swear I'm going to kill you. You just made a vow. And if you would have asked the rabbis in that day, what do I do? The answer would have been, you said it, man. Might as well go ahead and do it. That's crazy, isn't it? 
You're going to kill somebody because you said it? But that's how they thought. That's how they, that's how they put things together, and that's how they dominated people in those days. They took a small thing, and they made it a big thing, and it overrode the very command of God to take care of your parents. You, 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 let me, let's just make this applicable, okay? You can't take the commands of the Bible and pick and choose the ones that are more convenient to you and more beneficial to you. God said, the bigger laws, your parents. I don't care what the other laws are, even though God has written them. The big one is honor your parents. But it's so easy to do sometimes. Uh, you, you ever been wronged by someone? And for some reason, all the verses that run through your mind are verses that want to get back at that person. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Well, you can get those verses just like that. People treat you like that. This is the way you treat people. But then something happens to you where you wrong somebody. And then all of a sudden, you don't think eye for an eye, eye tooth for a tooth. Now you're thinking all the verses of forgive and forget. It's just to show me a little mercy. Because, see, you're looking at it from your viewpoint, and everything that's happened to you in your life, and you're determining, you're taking the Word of God, and you're rewriting it, as if that becomes the most important thing for that situation. And that's, that's what they were doing in that day. Listen, I'm a pastor. I counsel a lot of people. I've seen this in counseling sessions, marriage counseling, where uh, the husband and wife will sit there, and they will go back and forth. And that's not all bad in a counseling session, because you want to see what's going on in the dynamic of their relationship. But they'll go back and forth. I remember one spouse saying to the other person, over and over and over again, you say you're going to change, but you never change. You can see this person's face right now. And then the other partner says, exasperated by him going about over and over and over again, and that person says, well, you should forgive me 70 times 7. And then she looks at me like, that's in the Bible, isn't it? That's in the Bible. True, it is in the Bible. It is in the Bible. But the Bible says a whole lot more about your relationship and how you're treating people is far more important about whether you're going to change or not. How do you miss that? How do you miss it? You, you got the 70 times 7, but somehow you missed the fact that you're unwilling to change in this relationship. And it's hurting your mate, and now your mate resents you because you won't change. So have you ever used a verse that's convenient for you? That's a little Pharisee. That's a little Pharisee. They use a verse that's convenient to them. And I want you to see these two points are related. Sometimes we make much of little. We, we take what God's not even consumed by, things that he hasn't even told you what you should do. He's given you a guideline, but that's it. And we get consumed by it. We make a guideline, and then the guideline becomes more important than what God was trying to say. I'm not even consumed by that. And then the other way, we, we go to the other side and we make little of much. We take things that God's passionate about, like how you treat people and how you talk to people. And somehow we flip that around and don't make that as important, even though God says, that's hugely important to me. We get caught up in our pet peeves as opposed to that. 
And what happens is we start to focus on the externals. We stop looking at our heart. All right, so I don't want you to miss Jesus' heart. Let me get to number three. I'm going to close it out here, okay? Uh, are you, is there a little Pharisee inside of me? No, if you make much of much and little of little. Okay, Jesus realized the tension that's going on in the room or in the community there. His disciples there, the Pharisees and the scribes, and people are starting to gather around. They're kind of listening in. So Jesus just looks around at the whole crowd and he says, okay, everybody, bring it in, bring it in. Y'all been listening anyways. Come on and bring it in. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. Now, when he says that, he called them. That's the same word he used for the disciples. He called the disciples. And when he says listen, that just sounds like listen to you in English. But really, it's actually the word to hearken, which is an oracle of God and an authoritative statement by God being given to Jesus from the Father. It's almost like Jesus is in this argument and, and the Father just speaks to him and says, speak this oracle. <laughs> that's, that's really what's going on here. So um, he calls everybody in for this authoritative pronouncement, this oracle that the God the Father has just given him. And uh, he basically says this, God's not concerned about the external. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it. What goes into your stomach is external stuff. What you eat. Now, you're talking to people that were consumed by what they ate. And he said, that matters very little. It goes into your stomach, then it's brought out as waste, and it goes on. What God's concerned about is your heart. Your heart. That'd be hard for people to hear. In other words, what's he saying? Sin is not something you catch by touching something. You don't catch sin by touching something. Sin is not something outside of you. This is so important. But it's at the center of your heart. At the center of your heart. Your desire and, desire and capacity for sin is already in you. No rules are going to change that. No rules are going to change that. That capacity to sin is deep in you. Your flesh is corrupt. Your heart, the ultimate decision maker, chooses to do bad things. And he gives that list there. I've already read them. I won't read them again in verse 22. Adultery and deceitfulness. Deceitfulness is at the level of adultery. He gives that huge list and he says, listen, those come out of your heart. The truth is we are not good people who sometimes do bad things. That's the truth. We're not good people that sometimes do bad things. The truth of the matter is we are fundamentally flawed and dead in our sin. And once in a while, we appear to do good things. That's the truth. Jesus says, you can't fix this by a list, by your rules. They're worthless when you go above and beyond the law of God. Now, for you beneficially, your personal convictions, you ought to have some. But don't start imposing them on others. What Jesus is saying is, you got to get a new heart. you got to get a new heart. You need, you need a transformation. And the only way that can happen is for your heart to change. So how do I do that? you got to confess him as Lord. you got to own your sin, your guilt, and you got to say, Jesus, save me. He said, that's the only way you can get a new heart. You say, well, Pastor Rob, I, I still have a lot of things I mess up on. That's because you got a new heart, but this old body that sticks with you till your death, it's choking your heart. The flesh outside of you is trying to choke out that heart 
so it can't get through. But it's so powerful, it breaks through that. But the flesh just wants to keep choking that. That's what's going on with you today and why you're struggling sometimes with things. But the, the truth of the matter is, Jesus said, you've got to have a new heart. And your flesh will sometimes try to choke out your new heart because we still carry that flesh. So I'm going to wrap this up, okay? First question to answer, is he your Lord and do you have a new heart? Is he your Lord and do you have a new heart? That's the only way you're going to get through this stuff. Number two, are you guilty of making much of little? Are you guilty of making much of little? Do you got your personal convictions and they're so important you fail to see the bigger laws of God? You made much of little. Or number three, are you guilty of making little of much? The things that are huge to God and they're of little concern to you, like loving God and loving others. How you talk to him, how you treat people. That's far more central to the way he thinks through the scriptures. I'm just saying to you, this is an opportunity to look at your life. I'm not asking you to look at any other church, any other person, or what everybody else is doing. I'm asking you to look at your life. There's an, this is an opportunity for you to change. An opportunity for you. All right, let's pray. Let's pray. Just with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to just ask you in this moment, where are you? Where are you? I'm very aware that Satan is probably trying to whisper into some of your ears right now. You know, buddy, you probably need a new heart. But the truth is you've done too much. You've gone too far. You, you could never really get that grace. Because you stepped over the line too many times. You're not going to straighten it out. Let me tell you something. That's a lie. You know the way I know it's a lie? Because Satan tells every single person that same lie. You've gone too far. You've done too much. You've crossed the line. When you understand grace, grace, it's not a rule. It's a relationship. The grace of God in relationship with you. The undeserved kindness of God. You haven't gone too far. You haven't done too much. You haven't crossed the line. God says, just come to me. Come to me. I shed my blood for you. I died on a cross. Put your faith in me. Own it. Own your sin. I'm burdened because I got a funeral here today. And I'm not, I don't know one person at this funeral. I feel burdened over the fact that so many probably counting on some good works some good things they've done to get them to heaven and I'm just asking God to direct my thoughts this afternoon so I feel the weight in a personal way here this morning but but for you just ask yourself search your heart how's God speaking to you do you need to be saved are you making little of much are you making much of little life-giving grace work in your heart in a personal way. Father, I lift that up. I lift everyone in this room that you would speak to at this time. God, I lay them before you. I ask you to speak to whatever
whatever your spirit has spoken to them about during this message. Take it and use it. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Praise team is going to sing. The altar's open. If you have a need for prayer or need someone to pray with you, there'll be someone here up at the front that'll pray with you. Just come this morning if God's dealing with you.